Hello, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to The Soundtrack, a podcast discussing film, television, and video game music with the fans, geeks, and super freaks. Okay, we're doing things a little differently this episode. We're going to get started right away with our main topic. I have Alex Reed here. Hey! Hey, it's a very special episode, so we're going to just go ahead and get started. We've got a lot of music to cover, a lot to talk about. It's all about Star Trek. Normally, this would be like a movie a movie episode, but uh, mm-hmm. we're going to throw TV in as well since we're talking about Star Trek. We're going to talk about all of it because mm-hmm. Alex is leaving. He's leaving us. I'm sorry. I am leaving. <laughs> he's, going to, he's going back to Los Angeles um, to be a hotshot screenwriter and all that stuff. So, <laughs> uh, Well, to, to wait for the movie to come out more, <laughs> to wait more realistically. Out. Right. Um, yeah, so the Deviant movie, Deviant is coming out... Uh, well, they're in post-production now, so yep, um, it's coming along. And uh, anything to share? Any latest news as far as that's concerned? Just... Well, no, not not really any new new news on Deviant. I mean, post-production is just kind of rolling along. It is what it is, right? Um, I mean, if you want to if you want to see some content, you can always check out my YouTube channel. It's just Alex Reed. There's a lot of fun stuff on there. there there's a web series, Unvented. There's a, a few uh, Donald Trump parody videos we've been working on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I put on my, my best Donald Trump voice. For oh, us. yeah. L- listen for Zach's <laughs> Donald Trump impression. It's great. Um, it's great. It's great. It's totally great. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. So, we've been working on that stuff. That was a lot of fun. Um, I'll try to post some. I We kind of took some behind-the-scenes uh, footage, uh, photos and videos and stuff of that nature for so I'll probably post some of it on my website maybe we'll we'll see so yeah that's what we've been working on uh just kind of having fun doing some little stuff like that doing some side projects and yeah. uh, uh I'm coming out with a Patreon video soon uh so be on the lookout for that and check out my Patreon page if you haven't uh patreon.com slash zd underscore mcm if you can remember that yeah, so that I've been just working on getting kind of a YouTube channel started. Um, it's in the works, people. It's kind of all coming together slowly, but uh, bear with me here. So, yeah, okay. We got all that yeah. stuff out of the way. I think Star Trek. Let's start talking about some Star Trek stuff. Um, where well, do you want to start? You want to start with themes? like the... um, Well, maybe we should start by explaining uh, how the we for- did it. Yeah, okay. the format for this episode is a little different. Like, normally we'll do, like, sure. a top ten or a top five right. and pick pieces of music, but... Zach isn't really a Star Trek fan, so what we did for this episode... I know nothing about it. <laughs> yep. Well, which is Almost cool. nothing. I, knew, I know a few things. Yeah. I'm, I'm not totally in the dark. But... but that means Zach will just be able to comment on the music. <laughs> and so what I did is sent Zach about a 90-minute playlist of Star Trek music, kind of from all 50 years of, of the franchise. Yeah, I told you. It's going to be, uh, it's gonna be a yeah. big one. So what we're going to do is just run through those tracks and see what we have to say about them. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So where do we start? We want to talk about. Uh, yeah, we should probably start with the themes, the, like the, the the main thematic music. So. And behind us, we hear the famous title music for the original Star Trek TV series, written in 1966. This uh, motif right here is what you, you'll hear all throughout the Star Trek scores. It's kind of an overall right. sound for the franchise. It's really, it's really great. It's such an interesting introduction. You have a very majestic kind of an introduction, and then it kind of goes. It, it almost feels like um, when I was listening to this the other day, kind of in preparation for this, I was. It reminds this part reminds me a lot of the Jetsons kind of. It does. It's uh, it's not almost... supposed to, but. The it's, Jetsons came out in 1962, right, or something mm-hmm. like that, so... 
And now right now we're playing the second season version behind us, which is a little different. Instead of a cello playing the main melody, it has the soprano voice. And what you're mm -hmm. saying about the, the music is interesting, because I almost think that second part sounds a little dated. It's a little 60s. Right. It has that bossa nova yeah. feel. <laughs> yeah, it's very um, very upbeat, kind of... Uh, uh, it's, it's very homey, mm -hmm. kind of, you know? Different than what like the show is actually what what the show actually is. I I feel like, mm -hmm. and like here in the background you hear the famous the the mm -hmm. famous soprano voice, which is yeah. kind of how how this theme is often I don't know portrayed or covered. Right, is with that really bold brassy soprano voice, mm -hmm. and apparently that was added in at the the request of creator Gene Roddenberry to give a human quality to the music. And he wanted the human voice in there somewhere. Right. The next track I sent, Zach, this one's called Beyond the Pale, and this is from Where No Man Has Gone Before, the second pilot episode of Star Trek. And I love this one because it's so, it evokes the vastness of space, like the feeling of exploration. The way they kind of do this, um, the use of intervals, like intervallic relationships between notes, um, the vastness of space is you often that's why you when you often hear space themed uh, Music whatever it is like theme song whatever show it may be if it's or movie anything space themed Will often have like very wide intervals. So like mm -hmm. you, when you hear it you hear it in the main Star Trek theme Like you hear these very uh, These yeah. long intervals like high leaps and stuff like that Yeah, isn't this is it a seventh? What's the interval? Right. Da, 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 da. Um, yeah, but that over the course of that is a that that from the lowest note to the highest note is a seventh. Yeah. Yeah. With a with a fourth, I think a fourth interval in between, mm -hmm. um, or a fifth interval. Da da da. Um, yeah. I yeah. mean that's a good point. The the wideness of the space between the notes is like the space mm -hmm. that it's conveying. So and that's. That's a very common technique, and you hear it from any like any show, not just Star Trek. You hear it, Star Wars, da 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 da, da you know yeah. that kind of thing. Um, Futurama is deal. The, that main melody is a lot of fourths, fourths and fifths, kind of, because yeah. fourths and fifths are kind of interchangeable notes because uh, a fourth up is the same thing as a fifth down. If we want like a kind of a music theory lesson here, yeah, uh, it's all interesting. And then yeah, so and then a fourth up, so a fourth up and a fifth down are kind of the same, are the same, same notes, just different octave, obviously. Great. Um, and then a fifth up and a fourth down are the same thing. Mm -hmm. So when we get that wide, that's about as wide as we can go, pretty much within like one octave. So or you know what I mean, like before it kind of when you invert it. So it's like whether no matter what inversion those intervals are in, they're the same distance away. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what I mean. Cool. And behind us, I'm playing some more original series action music. Uh, this track accompanies a, a cube spinning in space. That's the visual effect shots from the episode The Corbomite Maneuver. And I sent Zach a bunch of original series action music because I'm just a big fan of their action scoring because right. it's always so bold. Uh, the next one we're going to play for you is from the episode Amok Time. And this one's really famous. It's been parodied in a whole bunch of places. This uh, this music plays when Kirk and Spock are fighting to the death. Yeah, I recognize this when I was listening to it. Uh, maybe early, maybe early Family Guy. This sounds like something they use 
Yeah, it, it's the episode. It's the episode where they get the mansion. That's a parody of Annie. I knew it. Yeah. yeah. And Stewie's like, "You two fight to the death." That's right. That's <laughs> right. I, I, I had it right. I was thinking yeah. of the right thing. And I think Futurama actually used this actual music. Oh, did they? Yeah, yeah they licensed I'm sure it. Sure, they did. Because all those shows are like, they're all like star fans of Star Trek and Star Wars. So oh it's yeah, like... they're everywhere. We're everywhere. <laughs> so <say. laughs> yeah. It's so great how that that influence has translated over. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about Star Trek is really cool because I, I, I think of it a lot like James Bond. James Bond is more of like a history, like shows like a history of the world through um, through those movies. But then when it comes to Star Trek, I feel like I feel like culture and like science. Yeah, and technology it's, um, are kind of carried through. It's a reflection of how that period in time views the future. Right. What they aspire to be in the future. Like 60s Star Trek is much different from 80s Star Trek and then 90s. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so musically, uh, and then also maybe aesthetically too, There's the, uh, it's cool to see how things have changed through this show as opposed to other shows. Like James mm -hmm. Bond, you get like a... like. World history, pretty much, but and with style, this, yeah. yeah, yeah, right, style, that that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, this track is also really fun because the instrumentation is so unusual. Uh, the composer's name was Gerald Freed, and he basically had full license to create a new sound for the Vulcans, who uh, we hadn't really seen their mm -hmm. culture before. This is the first time we visit planet Vulcan, so he gave us a very tribal. Um, uh, yeah, what, you, what would you call it? Uh, yeah. I just, yeah. Tribal, like, tribal primitive kind of sound. Right, right. Here's some more original series action music. This is from my favorite original series episode, The Doomsday Machine. And I'm actually going to skip ahead in the track a little bit. Sure, go for it. The reason I picked this one for Zack is uh, the theme for the planet killer destroying device right here. Da. And just listen to this. Listen to the minor seconds that are coming up here. It's very similar to the theme for Jaws, which was written nine years later. Yeah. And similar instrumentation as well. Mm-hmm. It's, it's staying with, like, the low voices, low, like, kind of, uh, bass, uh, bass, cellos, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Yeah, with short with short little brass stabs and that sort of thing. You're right. Uh, one thing I wanted to pick up on what you said earlier really was quick. how exposed. Really quick, what huh? instrument is playing here? I think it's What's... it's it's a mixture of bass clarinet and uh, I think acoustic bass. Yeah, or at least that's what it sounds like. Very I haven't. Sometimes I'm not very good with my <laughs> instruments for some reason. Yeah. Sometimes it's kind of hard to hear. Like on on the last episode with John, I. I was hearing bass guitar, and I thought it was like just a, a regular electric guitar. <laughs> I was just way off. I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah. Um, but yeah. What so were you going to say before? Ba bass clarinet or bassoon is another. Mm -hmm. uh, no, I just wanted to pick up on something you said earlier about how exposed like some of this music is. It's very mm. sparse in certain sections. A lot of this music, and we'll hear it throughout this list, um, but a lot of it starts very thin, and. There's a few exceptions, but most of the tracks start very thin, very lightly, and then they they all have kind of a similar arc. They all like expand. They're, they all have a a crescendo usually at the middle, maybe some toward the more toward the end, like the climactic points in each tr in each cue in each track are pretty pretty similar. Yeah. 
but they're but they're just texturally these uh, this writing is just very exposed and it's just so interesting. Uh, particularly for the brass and for the trumpets. Yeah. Another thing we're going to hear a lot throughout is a lot of trumpet like trumpet like like right now. There's a lot mm-hmm. of trumpet melodies and and textures that are just very out in the open. You, normally, you would mm-hmm. hear brass and uh, with some other support underneath mm-hmm. um, to really drive the track forward, but. Uh, in this case, there's a lot of just trumpet by itself, trumpet, trombone, mm-hmm. uh, some fr- French horn sometimes that's just very out in the open with not a whole lot there. Yeah. So a lot, a lot of stabs, a lot of things like that. So. Yeah, and I can say behind the scenes, uh, Robert Justman is was the music producer for original Star Trek, and he was a big fan of classical Hollywood scoring, that really big, bold sound. So he always right. encouraged the composers to just go for it. This one that's playing is our last original series track. Uh, This is from the episode The Trouble with Tribbles, the big bar fight scene. (laughs) And this one I think is great because it's an example of what Zach was just saying. It's so bold and so out there and in your face. My favorite part of this track definitely is the snare drum. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, very active. Uh, This composer, Jerry Fielding, worked on uh, the TV show Hogan's Heroes at the same time. So he had that same kind of comedy military flair to the music. It's cool to hear how those things translate over. Mm -hmm. Um, Composers, like, it's really hard sometimes, like, you want to have your own voice, but at the same time you want to be doing what's right for the picture, whatever you're doing, but Mm -hmm. that's that's why these guys are so great, is their ability to to morph, but also you can also tell when it's, oh, I know who that is. It's like, yep. like, and like John Williams, you know. Yeah, and this track in particular, like, they had their, their regular stable of composers, but sometimes they bring in uh, someone just to score one episode, and th- that was the case here. Like a composer that was really specifically cast to that episode. This is just, I just really like this because I can't really tell, but it sounds like drum set. Playing, I, it's you hear mostly like snare drum, but I feel like there's some tom tom toms and stuff in there. So it sounds like a, a drum. It's a, a drummer, like a drum set player, is playing, but just not using it in the conventional sense. And if not, if there are if there's separate people playing it, it sounds like it could be played maybe by one person. Yeah, so I just think that's just very interesting. The percussion on this track is is very ear ear grabbing to me. Yeah, it is. Like you can hear right now. Yep. Okay, but we're done with that. (laughs) Next track. Next, um, we're jumping ahead in time a little bit. I sent Zach four tracks from the score for the first Star Trek movie, uh, scored by the legendary Jerry Goldsmith, who I think if there's one quintessential Star Trek composer, it's Jerry Goldsmith. Yep. Because he scored um, four of the movies, but other than that, a lot of the composers on the TV show have cited him as an influence like trying to do what he did in terms of bringing the thematics and character to the episodes. So this piece right now is the love theme for the movie called Ilea's Theme. This sounds much more cinematic in nature than mm-hmm. all of it sounds pretty cinematic, but this in particular sounds like it really ought to be for a movie as opposed to like a TV show. Yeah, not only do you have a bigger orchestra, but you have uh, a film composer. There you go, yeah. Yeah. And next, uh, we have the main title theme for the motion picture, 
which is very recognizable because it was later used as the main theme for The Next Generation. There's what Zack was talking about, those wide leaps. And again, lots of brass stabs, very short, punchy brass stuff and, and percussion. Yeah. Yeah, this theme was actually rewritten after uh, Jerry Goldsmith wrote a theme, but then the movie's visual effects weren't finished. And when they came back, he took a look at it again. He's like, oh, I need to, I need to reconceive this music. Uh, just to fit the images better. And he, he gave us this very heroic, soaring kind of theme. You're right, and it's very full. It just has a very full-bodied nature to it. Yeah. I think I read, because um, I have I had the this score on CD, and I think this was a 90-piece orchestra. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah th and this track just brings in the full power of the orchestra. Yeah, so you'll kind of hear as we move forward through these next series, uh, these later series, the the the, the, the different, like the, the size of the orchestra really plays a big part of what goes, what you can hear, and how how each part plays is plays a big role. Like everything is important. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that's thrown away about it. That's very conventional uh, orchestral scoring, I think. But then we're gonna hear some like kind of adapting and stuff that that'll be really interesting mm -hmm. and kind of unusual but still have the same effect well one of know? the cool things about star trek is they always have a live orchestra playing like a lot of tv shows this days will just have like a guy with a synthesizer or mm -hmm. or right. using sampled sounds yeah but in star trek it's all live music mm -hmm. the track that's playing right now is the next one in the movie called klingon battle and i shared this one because um jerry goldsmith's klingon theme was basically the template for all later Klingon music. Right here. Again, very exposed. Yeah. And I remember reading too that um, kind of the rule for the Klingon theme is you always use that major fifth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep. Yeah. A very open, yeah, open intervals. Mm -hmm. it, really, this it has its own character. All this music has its own character. Most of the tracks that we already mm -hmm. have listened to have very wide intervals, a lot of leaping, uh, and a lot of very exposed and kind of, you know, detached sort of things. Mm -hmm. Sort of melodic statements, melodic fragments and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But also for this particular track, um, Jerry Goldsmith liked to throw liked to throw in these little effects in his scores, uh, just give an interesting sound or unique, unique sound to the movie. Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna skip forward a little bit and show you one of those unique sounds. All right, so listen carefully here. So that sound you heard kind of sounds like a synthesizer, but that was actually an instrument called the blaster beam that was invented specifically for this movie. <laughs> and uh, like I even read the liner awesome. notes and it's, it's really hard. It doesn't really even describe what it is. It just says it's made out of artillery shells like set in a row with magnets somehow. Wow. <laughs> so it's this guy, I think, just hitting artillery shells and making that that <laughs> deep uh, electronic kind of sound. Kind of like a blue man group, sort of, almost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just really inventive. Mm hmm I just found it interesting that that's actually an analog instrument. It's not electronic. Yeah. 
does, yeah, it does sound electronic though. That's a good mm -hmm. point. Okay. And we're going to get into actually more electronic music, so. Yep, as we get into the 80s, the scores get a little more synthy. The next, uh, the next piece of music uh, we're listening to here is the theme from Star Trek IV The Voyage Home, which I've always been a big fan of because the movie, it's a comedy. It's light and it's peppy, and so is the theme. And it feels Star Trek-y because here we get our uh, classic Star Trek statement. I've always liked how it starts high and then, and then an answer to yeah. that statement comes in in, the low, in a lower voice. Mm-hmm. It happens virtually every time you hear that theme. And here's the main statement of the Voyage Home theme. Now we skipped ahead to the theme for Star Trek The Next Generation, uh, yeah. the first season arrangement. Something I'm a little more familiar with. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a little more familiar with The uh, with the Next Generation. Mm -hmm. And this theme, uh, this version of the theme, uh, I recorded it straight from the disc so it has the, the opening narration playing in the background. <laughs> the melodious tones of Patrick Stewart. To explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and this theme is special too because it was um, Gene Roddenberry requested to combine the two Star Trek themes to that point. So the first half of it that we just heard was the, the theme from the original series, and now you hear a rearranged version of Jerry Goldsmith's movie theme. They found great places to insert the sound of the ship warping by. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Mixing the, the effects with the sound effects with the, the music. Mm -hmm. It's very proclamatory. Mm -hmm. you know. It's kind of similar to the Star Wars theme in that it's heroic. Right. All well, these You can even hear elements of Star Wars kind of within that. You can hear it, da 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 Uh-huh. And uh, I, know, I know these guys were all big fans of John Williams, too. Yeah. This next track playing here is by a composer that uh, Zach and I are both big fans of, named Ron Jones. Mm-hmm. We've and both, or I've had, I've had the pleasure of meeting Ron Jones. Have you ever? I haven't, no. Oh, you haven't. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting Ron Jones at, uh, he came to my college when I was a senior a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And he, it was just a wealth of, of knowledge. It, there was just so many things that he talked about. He didn't talk too much about Star Trek because I think more people were interested in his, you know, family guy stuff. And mm -hmm. even some of the clips, the example uh, composition clips that he brought in and orchestration, you know, the classes that he was teaching. Um, was mostly about Family Guy. He brought in some Family Guy scenes. Um, he didn't talk too much about Star Trek. Mm -hmm. um, but he did say, one thing about Star Trek that he did say was he focused a lot on uh, when whoever was talking, like 
arranging the music and orchestrating the music so it was outside of the, the person's, uh, the actor's vocal range. So, like, whenever there was a female talking, he would do counterbalance that was maybe something lower, um, out of range. That so, so the music could always be heard in conjunction with the actor's lines, whatever was happening. Mm-hmm. So he was very deliberate about where to score something and what instruments to have play, so that the 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 music could was able to speak and not interfere with what was going on in this, in any particular scene. Yeah, I was really amazed when I found that out, mm-hmm. uh, the amount of planning that takes. And with the right. sound effects, too, because there are so many on Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, he would always complain that they would always insert the sound of uh, the ship humming, like the engines humming like in the background. Some sort of a drone, yeah. Yeah, and he would always complain that his music had to compete with the effing air conditioner. <laughs> <laughs> um, definitely, but that is can be a problem, because that's just straight, like, just noise, you know? It's just kind of white noise after a while, you know? Yeah, and it takes away an entire note, an entire part of the scale for him to use. Right. I mean, it makes sense mm-hmm. that he would want that out of the way. Yep. These first few tracks I shared with Zach because they're very synthy and very 80s. Mm, right. Um, they started using a lot of electronics in their scores. And I think at this point, synthesizers were still pretty clunky. They had to be pre-programmed in advance. Mm-hmm. So I th- in some cases, they're being played live, and in some cases, it's just the right. guy hits the button, and it, right. and the track starts. Right, so, but what he's doing with these synth sounds is basically what you would do with a live orchestra he's using he's kind of using similar orchestration concepts um but just the the availability of different sounds and maybe something that sounds like a a string orchestra but with a little bit extra so it kind of is like a combination of things Mm -hmm. listen the melody that's playing right now it's i'm pretty sure it's just like a like a lead synthesizer but it kind of sounds like a flute doesn't it it's, so, it's meant to blend in, but right. be a little apart. There may actually be some flute in there. It's really hard to hear, but, um, like, there's kind of a, just that mixture just really, it's, it sounds somewhat acoustic, but not really. So it really mm. creates this really interesting effect that that's really unique to this time period, I think. Yeah. Another thing Ron Jones did that was unique and I think really cool is he, um, he actually made a worksheet for himself every episode called his Star Trek questions. Mm. And he would write, ask himself questions like, what's the main theme of this episode? Or if this character was an instrument, what would it be? Or if this character was a scale, what would it be? And so he would build his music from the ground up that way, uh, really blending with the themes of the episode. So there you go. That kind of, if you, you might be kind of wondering, like, how do they come up with this stuff? You know, like very methodic planning, uh, methodical planning sometimes. Yep. Sometimes it's not always easy to decide what to do. You don't, you don't really know what to do sometimes. Sometimes you have to really sit and think, like, what, what, what element could I bring to this? Because you, you're composing, like, on a budget and on a, on a time frame. Yeah. So you don't really have time to be, like, exploratory and experimental. Sometimes you just have to go with something. So using, so what composers do is they'll use kind of their background knowledge whatever, you know, whatever they have on orchestration and that sort of thing, and just pick something and run with it, you know? Yeah. Uh, especially these episodes, I think they only had like eight days to score them. So they just gotta... Right. They just gotta run with it. Yeah. And I know um, Ron Jones in particular, he built up a lot of themes that he reused over many episodes. 
And he would he would always say like it's not like I remember these. He would always have to go back and look because <laughs> right. he's written so much music. Yeah, he'd have to keep a folder of all his themes. But okay, what was my Klingon theme again? Uh, what do I do? <laughs> what yeah. do I do there? Uh, this track that's playing right now is from the episode Skin of Evil, which is famous for it's the episode where Tasha Yar dies, and it's not a great episode. Like I personally find this episode barely watchable, <laughs> but the music's great. <laughs> I think it's one of his best scores. Uh, what he's doing right now is a, a technique he often used in TNG, where when you hear, you hear that little electronic uh, mm -hmm. synthesizer line playing, yeah. he would use those synthesizer lines to represent whatever threat the crew was facing that week. Like, in uh, in this case, like the life-threatening injuries mm. that, that Yar has just sustained. And then against it, he would play, uh, right here, the acoustic instruments to represent the crew's efforts to fight that threat, whatever it mm. is. And this track is, uh, this is, this is playing where they're trying to save her life uh, desperately in sick bay. I think it's one of the best examples of that technique. And it gets a little more intense as right. our injuries get worse. Yeah, it's, it's kind of agitated. Then you have the strings kind of playing into that, so it's not all... The synth music doesn't really take over at any point. It's just kind of... It's like a right. background right. element. It's kind of... There's kind of some grappling back and forth. Mm-hmm. It sounds tense, but also kind of, kind of longing at the same time. It's not really unsettling, mm -hmm. you know. But it's it's urgent. It has an urgent quality without being like the 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 tragedy hasn't happened yet. Occurred right? yet? Yeah. So that just shows you how carefully he built all right. of these pieces. Like I said before, that I think Jerry Goldsmith might be the like the quintessential Star Trek composer, but personally, Ron Jones is my favorite. Yeah. Because I love how carefully he constructs his music and how well it plays in the episodes. And finally, this is the part where Yar uh, gives into her injuries and dies. That <laughs> makes it sound like it's her fault. <laughs> this is the part where Yar dies. <laughs> uh, the next piece I sent Zach is from the same episode, Skin of Evil. Uh, this plays at the, the end of the episode over the memorial scene for, for Yar. And this one just has such a lush, um, lush and emotional kind of arrangement. Is this the one that you told me he got a standing ovation for it that mm -hmm. after they record this? Yeah, they, uh, his orchestra gave him a standing ovation. That's, that's pretty incredible. <laughs> yeah. I think I, I read him saying elsewhere too, um, like when he was working on Family Guy, TV these days is a bit, a lot different where the pieces are a lot shorter, especially in animation. So he might do like a 20 second play on or something. Right. Or even like one Yeah, five whatever the scene. show, that's the fun and also the challenge of, of writing for a TV show is, you know, every show uses music differently. Some, you know, they only use for like, like bumps, that sort of thing. Um, some shows have, have musical numbers. Uh, 
I learned recently that like when when music kind of comes out of nowhere and people and characters start singing, it's called non-diegetic music. Yeah, so that was I just a, learned that term. <laughs> that was a, I learned that in uh, film studies. Mm -hmm. uh, diegetic means it's being played on screen, right? Uh, and non-diegetic is like back back score. Yeah, just out of nowhere. It's just kind out of out of nowhere music. Yeah. Oh, but what um what Ron Jones said about this piece in particular is um this piece is a full um six and a half minutes long and he said it's extraordinary to get a chance to write a piece of music that long in TV right but he got to score basically the entire act of this episode from I one mean, commercial break to another right I mean there's no like there's not even a lot of film music that is written that, this yeah. this well you know written out mm -hmm. this lengthy it's same thing you know movies whether it's movies or TV often deal with like shorter maybe shorter cues and even from that point, whatever you record may be edited down for the for for the picture, depending mm -hmm. on if there's changes in to act made to the actual footage. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, this is just a really complete. I feel like I have mm -hmm. to whisper. <laughs> yeah, the music's quiet, so we have to whisper now. <laughs> this is an example, I think, of uh, a piece of music. And a score that elevates the episode. Yeah, it's very, it's very mm -hmm. heartfelt. It's very deep. Yeah. Like at this point, um, when Tashiar was killed, her character really hadn't been around for that long, and to me, this memorial scene felt a little bit forced. But the music is what sells it, I think. Uh, here's more Ron Jones music. We're in the midst of our Ron Jones, uh, mel our Ron Jones medley. Uh, this piece is playing in a different episode called Where Silence Has Lease, where um, Picard and Riker set the auto-destruct countdown. And this piece has that kind of um, anxious, insistent right. feel to it. And it has a weird time signature, too. Oh, yeah. So I think I was listening to this. I think it's like a bar. It's one measure of 4-4, four, four, just common time. And then I think there's a bar of... It alternates between 4-4 four, four and 5-8. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, grouping of 5-8 notes. Yeah. I think that's what it is. Yeah, that's really or cool. Or four four could be eight eight, depending on how they're subdividing it. Mm -hmm. Um but basically thirteen thirteen beats kind of. It's yep. an odd number. Isn't that cool? It's really cool. And it's another example of how meticulously he built these scores. Like he built um he built what the scene was about into the time signature. How it's about a, a countdown in this unusual right. number of beats. Yeah, it's very disjunct. Mm -hmm. Again, like some snare drum kind of popping out of the texture. Mm -hmm. Snare drum, I've noticed, snare drum is very specifically sparsely used. Like, it's a, a snare drum, when you're in, kind of in school band, it's kind of the staple instrument. Everyone's, every percussionist wants to play snare drum. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to play xylophone or whatever. Um, <laughs> everyone wants to play snare drum, but... When it comes to orchestral percussion film music, snare drum is used very particularly. Yeah. So you won't hear like a lot of heavy snare drum like you would in like other concert, like uh, like John Philip Sousa work type works. Mm -hmm. Like he's only deploying it here right. because we're in like the last few seconds of the countdown. Right. And that was actually a directive from the Star Trek producers. They um they discouraged them from using um a percussion that popped out of the sound like this. 
because they wanted the music to really? blend into the background more. But Ron Jones kind of always was he was always, the edge. Always insisted, yeah. Yeah. I mean, who knows better than the composer, though, really? <laughs> like, what they yeah. want, you know? Yep. This piece of music is called Double Star, and it's one of Ron Jones' favorites. That He uses it as a sample piece on his website. Uh, it's the mm -hmm. first piece of music that plays in the third season of Next Generation. So to me, it has that kind of hopeful, yay, we're back for another, another season kind of feel. Mm. Like you're saying, it starts slow and quiet. Yeah. And in a second, it's going to burst forth into the full theme. I just really like the idea of the, the synths that he programmed for this. Mm -hmm. uh, something... Synth, synthesized music is very interesting how there's like lead sounds, there's like lead synth, and then there's pad synthesizer. Mm -hmm. So stuff that sounds more subdued, like chordal stuff that doesn't pop out too much, and then like a lead synthesizer that plays melodies that is more, easy, more easily audible. Mm -hmm. And I think as the series went on, the use of synths got more subtle. Um, right. So you hear how bright this the melody is, like, over the top of everything. It's, like, kind of has a shimmering quality to it mm -hmm. um, based on that, that lead synth he chose. Yep. My sister once described this piece as the soundtrack to the best dream you've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> I always think of that when That's I cool. play it. Uh, this piece is called We Are Flesh and Blood from the episode Who Watches the Watchers, one of my favorite episodes of Next Generation. Uh, it's another, and this is another one of Jones' favorites. He says uh, in the liner notes that he put a lot of energy and emotion into it, and he was very exhausted after writing it. Uh, what's happening in the episode now is that um, the Enterprise has accidentally come in contact with this, uh, this primitive group of aliens who believe them to be gods. And so Picard now has brought one of them onto the ship and is explaining to her that they're not gods. They, they're flesh and blood, just like them. Mm. And this music has kind of almost a hymnal quality to it. Yeah, this is very versatile. I'd say this music is almost more versatile than anything we've heard so far. Mm-hmm. You mean this piece? This, this piece, all Ron of Ron Jones', Jones in music yeah. in general is, is very diverse, I think. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm such a big fan. Yeah. And, oh God, and then you listen to something like Family Guy, and it's, like, just totally off-the-wall different. Yep. You know, he's dealing with, like, big band with orchestra, mm -hmm. you know, different yeah. different th different setting. Fan and, and Family Guy has all their cutaway jokes, so he could right. be called upon to do, like, any number of musical styles. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember an episode where uh, Peter joins the army or something. Oh, and, uh, uh, and Or Bri Brian and Stewie join yeah. the army. Someone's in the army, but there's this really fun military march where they're in training camp, and I saw it was written by Ron Jones. I'm like, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> Another style he can do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this is, um, I just think this piece is gorgeous. Uh, it's de described in the liner notes as almost a hymn to secular humanism. The cool thing about this this track, in terms of just harmonically, is it's just kind of going back and forth between two chords. Huh. I think this is the track I'm thinking of. Mm-hmm. Uh,
that's the one I was listening to earlier that I was th- thinking, yeah. <laughs> thinking that. Because I have thoughts about it, but then I just can't remember which one. See, I <laughs> I just, it all goes through my head so, <laughs> so yeah. quickly. Well, I did give him a lot of music to listen to. This piece is from uh, the episode The Best of Both Worlds. Uh, this was kind of Ron Jones' masterpiece. It's an episode with a very popular score, and I think it was it was one of the first complete Star Trek scores to be released on CD, because when you watch it, it just pops out at you. Uh, this is the season-ending cliffhanger where the Borg finally arrive, mm. and this piece plays during the teaser, where the Enterprise responds to a distress call from this colony, they beam down, and they find it's just a smoking crater remaining. So it's, it's creepy and eerie, mm. and at the same time, it's introducing his main Borg theme, which has been playing in the background. So is that the next one? So Captain uh, Captain Borg is the next yeah. track. Yeah. Okay. Right here is is his Borg theme. Played very slowly. And here's the part where it pulls out, and you see the yeah. giant smoking crater. Uh, this episode. Um, there was kind of a, a change in management on Next Generation, and they weren't really going for Ron Jones' style anymore, and he was on the verge of being fired. But this episode basically saved his job for an entire year. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> he did such a great job with it. Uh, now we're skipping to the end of The Best of Both Worlds, uh, a really famous Star Trek action track that scores the uh, the crew's phaser fight with the Borg on the Borg Cube. This may be, correct me if I'm wrong, but this may be one of the more iconic pieces of television mm-hmm. scoring for Star Trek. Oh, think, definitely. At, at least for Ron Jones. I think this is kind of the defining yep. track. And you'll actually hear, we've been talking about Family Guy a little bit. The end of this track is they've pretty much directly lifted the, the, the very end of this track from Star Trek in, in Family Guy. That Seth MacFarlane once said that he hired Ron Jones. Seth MacFarlane's a big Trekkie. That he hired Ron Jones for Family Guy based on the last few seconds of this track. And this was a time in TV history where season-ending cliffhangers were really rare. And so for Next Generation to do one was a really bold choice. Mm -hmm. I think Ron Jones just sells the heck out of it. He just punches in that ending. (laughs) And now uh, Star Trek, they're they're coming out with a, uh, or Seth MacFarlane's coming out with a new... TV show, uh, yeah. TV show, The Orville. Is that what it's called? Yep. Yeah. Uh, Star Trek spoof. Very much based on his love <laughs> of Star Trek. So, I mean, Ted 2 was basically the TNG episode Measure of a Man. Just oh, really? recycled, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> Ted, Ted 2 is the one about um, the Ted is fighting for his rights right. as a teddy bear. Yeah, Measure of a Man is an episode where Data, the android, fights for his rights uh, to be considered uh. a person. So we've skipped to the end of the track. In the background, you hear a very rare use of voices in a Star Trek score, but a a synthesized choir to represent the otherworldliness of the Borg. And this is where he's building up to that uh, the grand to-be-continued card. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, it just hits you in the face with the fact, this is a cliffhanger. Yeah. This next piece is from the episode The Inner Light, uh, one of the most uh, revered episodes of TNG. In this episode, Picard um, comes in contact with an alien probe that uh, that makes him live an entire lifetime in the space of 25 minutes. 
And then at the end of the episode, uh, they find a flute recovered from the probe, which Picard learned to play in his other life. And he plays it, it's the very last scene, kind of remembering his experiences. Just a very beautiful melody. And another thing that's rare for Star Trek, they let this melody play by itself. Right, yeah. This is just solo. Yep. Solo flute. And this track was actually, it was given a full arrangement with, with piano and strings and released as a single for classical music. But I personally, I like this stripped down melody the best. Uh, the composer Jay Chataway actually, he was asked to write a few different versions of this melody, and he said he gave them three. He wrote this one, which was the good one, and then he gave them two ones which weren't as good, so they would <laughs> choose this one. <laughs> <laughs> yep. This is the one. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and this again, is... don't tr trust the composer. You know. <laughs> yep. Uh, playing behind us is another piece from Jay Chataway. Uh, this is from an episode, the episode Birthright Part One, which is later in TNG. Uh, in the later seasons, they went for a different style of scoring, where it's much more ambient and in the background, which you can hear in this mm -hmm. one. This one is playing, uh, it's an epi the episode where Data learns to dream. So this is an extended dream sequence where Data is talking with mm -hmm. his long-lost father. And he's using a lot of electronic sounds, but in a very subtle way. Right. Subtle, ambient way. Yeah, it's not, it, it's not very abrasive. It's more, yeah, this is very smooth. Mm-hmm. That's, again, usually how pad synths are used is more kind of... You, know, you can have some kind of sweeping, you know, modulating pads and stuff, but generally I think, like, good pads are kind of... Like, they're, they're pads. Like, they're underneath. Mm -hmm. They're supposed to, you know, support whatever's going on so that they aren't too in the way. Because synthesizers can very easily, um, in terms of volume, overtake anything else that's playing. Um, so you have to be really deliberate about how you, you use it. Mm -hmm. um, and like how thick the chords are. A lot of times, um, whatever sound you choose, the, the, the chord voicing may not work uh, because of how thick, just the, how thick the sound waves are in general. Um, and where they are, like what range on the, on the keyboard you're playing it. So all these things are, are factors when it comes to... Because th that's kind of the beauty of synthesizers is certain things sound different sound better in certain ranges of the instrument. It's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Another thing about this piece, um, Jay Chataway said in an interview once, a lot of the time when you're writing scores for Star Trek, or like any space movie, you're scoring tension and danger. You're scoring these big space battles or whatever. Yeah. And that was a lot of the music he had to score. But this piece, um, this piece he said was a great chance to write something that soared, which we, you'll, hear, um, you'll hear coming up here. And I think this is one of his favorite pieces for that reason. Like right now, the dream's continuing. Basically, Data is now a, from the viewpoint of a bird soaring, and then he's soaring into space, like looking at the Enterprise from the outside. And I just think it's beautiful. Yeah. You can really picture it. Like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like it's it's inspirational. Like I I listen to this uh, this piece of music a lot to get me inspired while writing. And again, this is like toward the end of the track that like the the big 
the big moment, the big climactic point yep. hits. Just like the scene. And here's where we come back to reality. All right. So that's good music. That's good composition in conjunction with good filmmaking. It's yeah. Just... To, to construct the scene with a good climax. Mm -hmm. Now we've moved into the third Star Trek TV show, Deep Space Nine. And this is the uh, season one through three version of the main theme, uh, which actually won an Emmy for best theme music. Uh, the first of two Star Trek themes we'll hear that won an Emmy. It's funny, I actually didn't know that that was a category in yeah. for the Emmys. Yeah. I, I uh, of course, I feel like it really ought ought to be if it if it wasn't already. So mm -hmm. I'm glad I, I know that now. <laughs> yep. Uh, and this theme, because um, this show is set on a space station uh, at the edge of explored space, so it's meant to give you that lonely, isolated quality. Like here you just have this solo trumpet mm -hmm. in the middle of... Um, yeah, the trumpet is just such a, a, uh, an important, integral part of uh, Star Trek music. It just that's the, mm -hmm. that's the statement instrument. I think it, it has that sound of nobility that mm -hmm. they're, they're often going for. Right. That and the French horn. Yeah. I mean, they all, like I said, all the, every section, every instrument has um, their own, like, a feature. Uh, and when we were talking about, we talked through most of that one piece that Ron Jones did, the, the, uh, the funeral music. Uh -huh. um, but in that, in that track, if you can find it, is uh, go back and listen to it because there's a lot of really beautiful, like, solos that, you know, solo statements in different sections. Um, that you know there's like solo like violin i think and just different instruments that make statements that kind of contribute to this overall yeah like you pass it to one section of right. the orchestra and yeah it, it just keeps back. getting tossed around yeah so mm -hmm. uh like every instrument is important in star trek but just the trumpet for some reason has that mm -hmm. has that main quality yep now we're transitioning into the seasons four through seven version of the main title, which has a totally different arrangement, but also really cool. Like he, he added um, a few electronic elements, but they're subtle, like right here. Uh, like by this point, the series, the series had grown, like the setting had gotten busier. So they just asked for a more juiced up version of the theme. Uh, and this theme was written by Dennis McCarthy, who is one of Trek's longtime composers, I think, scored almost 200 episodes. Oh, really? Okay. Like, by far more yeah. than anybody else. Over four TV series. So they gave him his big chance to write the theme <laughs> right here. And here it has this this pulsing... Um, yeah. Pulsing electronic backdrop. Kind of like stars. Kind of like... Yeah. It's almost like... like a starry, starry background. Like a... Well, it's almost like the hum of an engine, space. too. Yeah. This arrangement of the theme also actually bugs my sister because she can't stand the little tinkly thing. Yeah, that's what I was. That's what I was listening to. That's kind of yeah. what made me think of like, like you know, spacey stars, yeah. a lot of stars in the sky, kind of a thing. I mean, I'm fine with the tinkly thing, personally. <laughs> Chimes. The tinkly thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And growing, yeah, again, growing in intensity more thick scoring also a lot of the themes uh, are you think of not only large intervallic a large intervallic motion but also usually the melodic lines are ascending as opposed to descending there's a lot of uplifting yes. melodies as opposed to yeah. downward downward moving 
melodies. Which, which I'm sure is deliberate because Star Trek is meant to be uplifting. Here's another theme by Dennis McCarthy. This was for the movie Star Trek Generations, which was the next generation's first uh, full-length movie. And uh, this is the Generations Overture, which I love. is another really uplifting piece of music. And you'll hear it in a second. Uh, this piece actually started as, as a piece of scoring for the movie, accompanying the scene where Kirk and Picard are riding horses through the countryside. So to me, when I hear it, it always reminds me of horses galloping. Like you'll hear the, um, right here. Yeah. Almost sounds, yeah, almost sounds Western, not quite, but it sounds mm -hmm. like it could be used in a Western in some way. Yeah. The tempo is very, yeah, mm -hmm. it's very bright. Yep. It, it's that background, though, that constant galloping yeah. sound that always grabs me. Yeah, like constant, yeah, constant perpetual motion, yeah. Mm -hmm. I know this piece is played a lot in concert. Like, it plays very well in concert. It's so mm -hmm. big and yeah. epic. So now we've skipped ahead in the track a little bit to the bridge. And this is, uh, this is Dennis McCarthy's theme for the Nexus, which it's, it's sort of like the sci-fi version of Heaven that appears in this movie. Mm -hmm. And he, he uses voices to score it. And um, this is definitely one of my favorite Star Trek themes. Uh, definitely go listen to his longer piece. It's called um, The Nexus Slash A Christmas Hug from the, the score of the movie for a fuller statement of the, oh, okay. this Nexus theme. And he uses voices, which again is unusual for Star Trek. And like that Ron Jones piece we talked about, um, he really put a lot of emotion into this. Like I've read, a, read it in interviews, he couldn't come up with this, this theme for the Nexus, but then his father-in-law died, who he was very close to, and he sat down to write and it just suddenly came to him. And he wrote it like a requiem to, his, to this guy he was really close to. Yeah, so you're mentioning that the voice isn't very common in this music, but when it is, but when they do use voice, um, it's carefully it's, deployed. Yeah, and like you, they make sure that you hear it. It's not thrown away. It's just it's mm -hmm. very, uh, very deliberately used. Yeah. Yeah. Then we launch right back into it, the main theme. So this is a this is the. Generations Overture. So an overture is basically like a, an introductory piece of music that happens uh, even like it was, it was a thing in musicals way back, you know. Um, the overture was like the, the, the music to get you into the show, you know. So yeah. before anything even happens, like you're kind of, you're hearing the thematic material before you even see what's what happens. Yeah. So it's already in your mind so that when the movie is happening, you... It's already somewhat familiar to you, so that you don't have to. You don't feel like you're. There's nothing really new coming at you, other than visually. Because once yeah. you're watching the movie, you sometimes you, you tend not to think about the music. Mm -hmm. So it's already it's already in your ear, and so it's kind of set you up for that. And here he really quotes nice the movie. original Star Trek theme, dun dun dun, to launch into the ending. Yeah. Nice. Oddly, it, like, it, it is the overture, but it actually plays during the end credits. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Now we're back to Deep Space Nine, and 
this piece of music is from the episode Our Man Bashir, which is a, a James Bond parody. It takes place in the Hollow Suite. <laughs> Uh, this uh, this music plays as background for when uh, Bashir, who's playing like the, the James Bond archetype, is exploring a dance club. <laughs> it's very groovy. Yep. <laughs> like the again, very different than what we've heard. So. Yep. And this episode is very specifically a parody of '60s Bond, and that right. that spy genre movies like uh, Casino, the the first Casino Royale, and Our Man Flint, mm. those kinds of movies. I love the bass in this one. Yeah, you don't hear a lot of electric bass. Well, you really don't hear a lot of any of this. <laughs> <So>. Yep. <laughs> There's a lot of music like this um, scattered throughout the Star Trek soundtracks of really interesting uh, uh, diegetic music, like we were saying. Right. Uh, music done in different styles. There's a lot of jazz on the, the Ron Jones soundtracks. Mm -hmm. Whenever there's a Klingon episode, there's usually some tribal drums in the background. Yeah. And it all fits together, like it's like a big like a big puzzle kind of. Mm -hmm. You have different options as far as you know, so you're not listening to the same thing all the time. It's like you have a lot of diversity. It's really cool. Yeah. I'm always just amazed how versatile these composers are. Oh yeah. How many different styles they can do. Uh, so as as we go on in the Star Trek franchise to Deep Space Nine and Voyager, the scores get more subtle and more influenced by classical music. Um, so here I sent Zach two examples of that that kind of music, and here is a comedic example. This is from the episode "Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite," where the crew forms a baseball team and plays a team of uh, I've seen this episode. Vulcans. Mm -hmm. Oh, you saw that one? Yeah, yeah, I've seen this episode. I showed this one to Zach's brother to try to get him into this show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because he's a big baseball fan. It was very playful and... Yep, when you pull out the tuba, <laughs> always playful. Um, um. <laughs> yep. yep. And like, uh, it's called pizzicato strings. With, uh, just plucking the strings as opposed to bowing them. So it, it gets a very different, uh, it's a very different texture. Um, that's that sounds more playful and more you know uh, yeah. punchy as opposed to that's a technique that's that's yeah. used a lot in comedy scores mm -hmm. yeah it's so so it's not too aggressive like the sound there's an attack there's a strong attack and then it fades quickly yep. so it kind of has this mm -hmm. sorry it has sure. this kind of bounciness mm hmm yeah, and um, there's an interview where this composer, David Bell, he talks about how he referenced uh, like early 20th century music, music from the 1900s and 1910s, uh, for reference on this piece, and tried to blend those influences into the usual Deep Space Nine style. Mm -hmm. So that's another, another musical style uh, that comes our way, thanks to Star Trek. This is the piece I sent for the dramatic cue. Uh, this this is from the episode The Changing Face of Evil, and it plays in the, our giant space battle where the Defiant is destroyed. Uh, I love this piece because it's such a complete piece of music. It has uh, st uh, statements of its themes, and it it really moves along very well. Right, this is a, a little bit out of the ordinary. This one kind of starts more in your face and then backs off, as opposed to, mm -hmm. and then it kind of and it 
comes goes back and forth more quickly. In Star Trek's uh, later seasons, they rarely had themes for the antagonists like they did in the original series. Mm -hmm. But here they do. He developed a few different uh, Dominion themes. Yeah, so definitely dynamic contrast is a big play uh, here. Mm -hmm. Makes a big, uh, a big impact. Yeah. These pieces are always interesting because they'll go between... Um, the outside, the visual effects, space shots, and then inside the ship, they'll pull it back a little bit because mm. it's playing under the dialogue. Oh, okay, yeah. And here, all kinds of stuff is exploding everywhere. And it has, uh, this one has that very martial feel. Yeah. So kind of call and response, kind of almost like an antiphonal thing happening, or like... Who the orchestra is pitted against each other like half of the orchestra is playing one thing and there's like a call and response type of thing happening back and forth mm -hmm. and then they join together yeah um, yeah and this composer it's a it's Jay Chataway again and it, he mentioned a, a martial influence in his music I think he was in um, he was in the Navy or something like that and played in the band oh okay yeah, so I he can see that. he brought that influence to this music So now we're playing the theme to the fourth Star Trek TV show, Voyager, which uh, is the return of Jerry Goldsmith. Uh, they asked him to come back and write the theme, and this is our second Star Trek theme to win an Emmy. It's another uh, very dynamic, sweeping kind of theme. Mm -hmm. And it's the only Star Trek theme, actually, that stayed the same throughout the entire show, all seven seasons. That's pretty impressive, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, TV shows, all TV shows, generally change their themes a lot. Right. Sometimes, I think, when some shows go along, I was talking with John last week about there's some, there's some anime themes that are, or anime shows that have lasted so long that changing up the themes is a good thing. Mm -hmm. But then when you can have something that's really fundamentally solid like this that you can use for, you know, everything, yep. some of you just don't want to change. Yep. So Seven Seasons is definitely, you know, shorter. It's still a long lifespan for a, uh, a, a live-action show. show. Oh, yeah. definitely. And the theme is very versatile, too. It's quoted in a lot of Voyager scores. Which, I just got the new Voyager soundtrack, so <laughs> just starting to listen. Yeah. Now we're playing the theme for the fifth and so far final Star Trek TV show, uh, Enterprise. Uh, for this one, um, the people on UPN decided to do something different, and they asked them for a more contemporary theme, so they go with this rock ballad <laughs> with actual lyrics. Which, uh, definitely, some fans love it and some fans hate it. I personally have gotten used to it. What year is this? This is 2001. Okay. This, to me, honestly, doesn't sound very contemporary. <laughs> this, so this sounds like... 
well, I guess 2001 is it's about, yeah. you know, 15 or plus years ago. Uh-huh. But still, I just, I don't even feel like for the time, for the early 2000s, I don't think. This sounds like very, like, classic rock to me. It does. The the, the thing I found find with this theme is that it gets old much quicker than the other ones. Yeah. Than uh, just a piece of orchestral and, music. Right. It's not that it's a bad song. I don't think it's yeah. a bad song. But we've heard a little bit of everything in this with, throughout the series, though, which is gr what's great about it. Mm-hmm. And they also they gave this song a new arrangement for seasons three and four, made it more soft rock. Um, I like personally the uh, kind of full-fledged uh, rock ballad version. Now we've come to our final piece of music. Ooh. You're still alive? You still, <laughs> still awake? Like <laughs> yeah. This is from the the first rebooted J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie called Enterprising Young Men by Michael Giacchino. I don't know. The first the first word that came to mind when I listened to this was busy. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff going right. on in this music. There's a very yeah. There's a controlled energy about it. Yep. Um, I mean, it's very much like the movie. It's frenetic, but it's yeah. controlled. Yeah. The movie is very frenetic, and it's always right. in motion. I love. I this is my favorite. Mm. It's probably my favorite. So, and here, there we have uh, Michael Giacchino's main Star Trek theme. Now, what's really cool about Star Trek, because it's been going on for so long, is that um, in all these different eras, it uses the top talent of its time. Like, Michael yeah. Giacchino is a very busy composer. Yeah. Um, and, uh, like, Jerry Goldsmith, uh, in his time, was one of the most prolific and best film composers. So, And uh, here, Michael Giacchino brings the sound of Star Trek um, up to the current day. Like, even now, this is just a dialogue scene, but it's... It's still playing, and it's very active and energetic, the music. Yeah. See if you can find, uh, go out there and find the version of this theme for uh, the second movie. Mm -hmm. uh, Into Darkness. Into Darkness, because there's basically a similar departing section from the main theme, but it's, it's, very, it's a little bit different. So, like, there's some slight... There's more of a villainous quality to it because, you know, we deal with Khan, uh, mm -hmm. right, in that movie. So uh, it's basically the same. And then it comes back to the to the main theme. It develops the same. It's basically the same theme, but just the departure from the main theme is slightly different. There's like a slight, slightly different melodic aspect to it. So it's almost like um, a sub-theme. Right. It like grows out yeah. of it. So it's the same texture. It's the same overall form, song form. Uh but just a little bit different in the middle to reflect the, the movie, you know, the current, you know, movie and, and characters. And here they're going into work. Boom, and track. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a little comedic moment there because yeah. Sulu doesn't get, get the warp drive right, so he keeps the, the hits going. Yeah. Dum, <laughs> dum. I love it. That's great. Yeah. That's a good one to end on too. I, it would make sense because that's we're caught up to the to present day now, pretty much. Yep. Um, wow, that is a lot. We a just lot covered fifty years worth of music. Woo! All right. Anything to add? So there's some definitely some common themes mm -hmm. uh, throughout. Like we saw a lot of different a uh, lot of different styles of music, but a lot of the similar techniques used as far as 
uh, and f- across different composers too. You know, mm-hmm. they all contributing to this massive this this Borg of a Borg m- musical styles, <laughs> if you will. So... They assimilate all of these styles into their collective. <laughs> That's great. Um, yeah. So if you don't have anything else to sure. add, oh well, we like we heard um we oh, heard yeah. uh, similar qualities to the themes. We also heard how uh, the scores evolved through time based on the conventions of the times. Right. Like how the 60s scores were very bold and brash. Then we get more synthy in the 80s. In the 90s, we get more classically inspired. And then we even had our, our classic rock ballad for 2001. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, that was a thing that <laughs> happened. Yep. Um, yeah, but lots of great stuff throughout that series and definitely makes me want to, you know, start watching some here. Now, I knew a little bit of it, so... Mm-hmm. Um, Zach's been like stopped behind the background when, yeah, when me and uh, his brother have been watching Star it's Trek. It's a lot to take in. It's it's hard for yeah. me to get into a new show here and there, but uh, yeah. it's good. I I don't. You have to acknowledge the fact that this is such a a great series and it's been on for so long. And we've covered both TV and movies, so you could mm-hmm. hear another thing that you could kind of hear is the difference in like the size of the score or the size yeah. of the orchestra and and different things like that that for the, di- the different situations, whether it was a film or, or a TV show, mm-hmm. um, you want to use similar techniques, but sometimes just based on budget and things like that, you have more things, more or less tools available to you yeah. um, to, you know, do your composition. That's why Ron Jones, we go back to Ron Jones. Some of it was so great because mm-hmm. it was, he did a lot with kind of a little, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of synthesized stuff that really kind of, well, you can mm. put synthesized things together and get really interesting sounds um, that yeah. you maybe can't sometimes don't get out of a, a conventional orchestra. But at the same time, having a big orchestra really propels, yeah, a lot more power, a lot more momentum. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the Ron Jones yeah. box set, which is so cool, one of my favorite possessions that I own. <laughs> they actually go through and they tell you how big his orchestra was for each episode and how. Sometimes you have to save money and you get Man. like 25 players. Detailed. Sometimes you want to really blow it out and you get 50 players. Right. Uh, it's it's really cool. Those are the things a TV composer has to think about. Right. Depending on, you know, what what's happening in the episode, you know, that sort of thing. Yep. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Alex Reed, thank you so much. Man, that was, yeah. uh, it's always a treat. I, I always look forward to those these episodes where I don't know uh, <laughs> a lot of the, the, the music so that, you know, somebody to kick my butt and tell me <laughs> tell me what's what i really appreciate that thanks for stopping by and thanks for having me um, again yeah it's always so a lot of fun i'll definitely we'll definitely have you back as when you're back in town mm-hmm. um but i appreciate the the this episode and all the past episodes that you we've done yeah go go um, if you haven't go listen to uh, uh we also did a star wars episode uh jointly talking back and forth like this and then i was also a guest star on um Zach's Lord of the Rings episode. Yeah, with my brother. So yep. with my brother, also Alex. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, well, good luck out in uh, California and hopefully, hoping big things for the movie. And uh, maybe I'll try to get you on, a, we'll see if I can get you on a Skype episode too. If we can oh, yeah. Skype you in, we can always try that. It'd be fun. Um, haven't done that yet. So uh, thanks a lot. I uh, really appreciate it. We'll catch you next time. Catch you next time. Uh, all right. <laughs> Wow, thanks for sticking with us, everybody. Thank you, Alex Reed, for such a great episode. Um, He's just a fountain of knowledge on Star Trek and Star Wars and and all that stuff. So it was really a treat to have him on again. And thank you guys for listening. Uh, I'm Zach Demas, and you've been listening to the soundtrack. 
If you like this episode and you want to hear more, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends. Also, uh, feel free to leave a rating and a review on iTunes. And I'm also on several other uh, podcasting uh, podcast hosting services. So uh, Cast Crunch, CastBox, uh, a bunch of different ones. Tune in. So yeah, check us out on any of those and tell your friends. And as always, for the latest news and information on everything that's going on here, you can check out www.MuteCityMusic.com. And also, you can check me out on Patreon. Uh, you can become a supporter through Patreon. Uh, I just recently came out with a nice a nice little promotional video for that, uh, just to thank my listeners and to kind of draw people in, uh, because I've got some really big things planned uh, as far as like a YouTube channel and all that stuff. I want to start doing some different... Um, like video podcasts and some other series of videos uh, for your entertainment and for me just because I love music. So, um, yeah, I've got a lot of big things planned so you can check out my Patreon. So, yeah, I think that's everything for this episode. Be sure to tune in next time. Uh, next episode is back to video games, so I, I think I'm going to be doing uh, I think I'm going to be doing The Legend of Zelda for that one. I've actually been recently watching a bunch of uh, Legend of Zelda uh, speedrunning videos. I'm really into speedrunning, or at least watching it anyway. I can't really do it, um, even though I love to play video games. Uh, yeah, so I've been watching a lot of speedrunning through those really long Zelda games, and there's just great music in, in all of those games. Uh, I'm really excited for that, a goldmine of music there. So until next time, hope you guys have a great 4th of July, and uh, hope your summer is going well, and I will catch you next time. Take care.